We love our kids. We're excited about the work that God's going to do in their heart. We're missing a, a, a bunch of them because they're at a, a kids' retreat this weekend, and, uh, and some of our wives are with them. It reminds me of the verse in the Bible, it is not good for man to be alone. Come on, it's terrible. It's terrible. They don't come back until, until, uh, until late, late on, uh, on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So I, uh, we, we miss our mom, Derek's mom, my wife. Nate's here. He's batching it, just he and Tyler. Fast food, pizza. There are no vegetables will be consumed in these three days that we are alone amongst ourselves. So, no, it's good. That retreat is a great time every year. Uh, you know, they, it's, it's the church that we, we came from that, that they uh, participate in that, uh, in that retreat with. And, and one of the reasons why we love our kids going on that retreat is because it's a church just like ours that believes that you don't have to cross a certain age before you can have an encounter with your Creator. That even as a young child, you can know who God is. Even as a young child, you can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit that talks about in Acts chapter 2. As a, as a young child, you can pray for each other. You can minister to one another. It's just an exciting environment for kids because it's permission giving for those kids. So much of growing up as a child is you have to wait until you're a certain age to do, you know? You go to the amusement park, you got to wait until you're a certain height, right? With our kids, we, 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 we let them wear their, their thickest shoes possible to get there just up above as high as Tigger's tail, right? So they could go on that ride. But it's not that way with God. It's not that way with God. We want our kids to know you don't have to wait. You can experience Him. There's purpose for you. There's life for you. And so those getaways that we do every year, taking them to that retreat is a great way for that to get stirred up in their heart. And so I just, I'm sharing that with you. So you'll be praying for our kids that are there, that God's going to move in their heart in some deep ways. And then sometimes God moves come on, in the hearts of the parents that are there with the kids. It's great. They're there to watch the kids, but then they get drawn into God's presence. And then he begins to do a great work in their heart. So we're uh, picking up tonight with part two. We, we, uh, uh, with uh, Living in the Gap, we uh, launched this as a theme uh, at the end of January, so we're not going to do a ton about it. I'm going to do a little bit of catch-up for you if you've not been here, but uh, we introduced this as our theme for the year uh, at the last uh, Saturday in January, and then last uh, Saturday we picked up with it again, and, and, uh, and we're going to do part two of last week's sermon. But before we do, we like to do giveaways. You like giveaways? I'm going to do another one a little bit later in the service. So this is a $10 gift card to Red Lobster, Olive Garden, and some other restaurants. So I want to give this to Tom Ivey, who's visiting uh, tonight. He's a pastor of York Community Church. York Community Church. Could you give Tom, Pastor Tom, a warm welcome? It's good to have you, brother. Come on, let's pray for Tom. Father, we lift up Tom and York Community Church to you. Father, we pray for their service tomorrow, but not just that service. We pray for all the services that are going to come. We pray for all the people in this community that you've called to be a part of that congregation. For all the people who you are speaking to their hearts about visiting there tomorrow, God. We pray for Tom. We pray for his leaders, Father. We pray for the ministry and the work that you have entrusted to their hand that you are going to move in their midst in mighty ways. That you're going to move in their midst in ways that, that humanity cannot explain. That you are a sovereign God. That you're going to do a sovereign work in that house amongst those people in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. All right, living in the gap. So all right, here's my, uh, my other giveaway. Who can, if you've been paying attention, what's the 
text, it's a verse in the book of Psalms that is our launch verse for this theme, it's, and it was the verse that we started with last week. I'm, I'm giving you a hint because it's in Psalms. Cord has, has his, so you've got to be quick on the draw. What is it, Cord? Psalm 124, 1 and 2. Come on, $10. We, can we, we reward note-taking at the City Life Church. Come on, you can applaud better than that. I know you're not applauding because you're, you're bitter that you didn't get the answer. We know. We know what's in your heart, and it's not pretty. Come on. Psalm 124, 1 and 2 says, What if the Lord had not been on our side? Now, in the text it says, let, let all of Israel say, but we're putting in there, let all of city life repeat, what if the Lord had not been on our side when? And then as you read through the text, it fills in some blanks there where God moved in supernatural ways in the history of Israel. We're, we believe that God wants to move in supernatural ways in our midst even today. In this day, in this time, amongst us as a people, with us as a church. We gather together on Saturday nights and we come expectant and believing that God is going to move in supernatural ways that's beyond the giftings of the musicians. As gifted as our musicians are, we're not coming to sing along songs, to have a sing along together, right? To be entertained by talent. They use their talent and they use their gift to awaken you to the presence of a sovereign God who wants to move in your life in sovereign ways, oftentimes in unexplainable ways. We believe that we gather on Saturday nights and that what happens in the kids' ministry is beyond the gifting of the teacher. Do we want gifted teachers in there? Absolutely. Do we want responsible adults out in there? Absolutely. We don't want those kids riding home with you and say a word that they've never heard them say. And where did you learn that? I learned it from the worker in the kids' church, right? Come on. We don't want, that's, we're not... We want gifted people working in there. We want responsible people working in there. But we don't want the work that's done in your kid's heart to be measured by the talent of the person that's in the room. We want it measured by the bigness of a sovereign God that's moving in our midst. When we're out in the community, we don't want to see a response. When we're praying, when we do altar prayer up here once a month, we have our prayer services. We gather together on the campus of CNU. I hope that you're going to be there. If you call this your church home, we're going to be looking for you for the National Day of Prayer. As pastors, we're praying that we're going to do it on that campus this year, but next year, come on, we're going to have to do it in Todd Stadium because it's not going to be big enough to contain us. We're believing that churches are going to come together. There's going to be a sovereign move of God in our city in our lifetime that's far beyond who we are. That's what Psalm 124 is about. We're going to be a church with a God-sized dream. A Psalm 124 existence out on the wire, living in the gap. And some of the, the, uh, the metaphors in there, you can listen to those messages if you want to catch up. We're not going to redo them tonight, this idea of out on the wire. We want to live our lives in between what we can and who he is. We want to be in the gap. We want to believe that God is going to move in our lives and move in our church in divinely sovereign ways. All right, so let's look in our text. Okay, you ready? 45 right here. The first time I've had reading glasses. I know, I know. I didn't realize how blind I was until I went to see Dr. Kearney. These are reading glasses also, so if I look through them when I'm at you, that's a scary thing for me. Reading glasses, they're only good for here, but if I'm here, it reminds me of my days before Christ. It's a little blurry out there, so I got to put them on the end of my nose. Vanessa said, Vanessa said, all right, I'll let you get reading glasses, right? Because I'm seven years older than she is, so she's trying to keep me young. As long as I'll let you get reading glasses, but if you get one of those chains 
that you put them on and wear them around your neck, I'm out of here, you know? That was not part of for better, for worse. That's beyond worse. I can't, I can't deal with that. So she's not here. I should have done it just to spite her, huh? It's just, that would have been a good example as your pastor. All right, John 21, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called out to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around himself, for he was stripped, and he plunged into the sea. We're going to come back to that verse a little later. But since they were not far from land, only about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Come on, his presence is undeniable. Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And as we looked at it last week, he's going to ask him this three times, once for each of his denials. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Then shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. And we've been digging around in this text because we want this text to dig around in us. I hope that there's something inside of you that longs to spend time in the Word of God. Because if you spend time in God's Word, then God's Word will spend time in you. The Bible, in speaking of itself in Hebrew, says that God's Word is alive and active. In the King James, it says it's quick and powerful, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit and joint and marrow, judging the attitudes of the heart. We need God's Word to do a work in us. It's one of the reasons why we spend so much time digging in the text together on Saturday nights. Part of it is because of how it gets into us as a church, as a community, but part of it is that hopefully it will awaken an appetite in you that you'll say, I want more of that in my own life. And then Sunday through Friday that you're going to go on your own journey of digging around in God's Word. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for God's Word to dig around in us. For some of you, it might be uncomfortable for God's Word to dig around in you tonight because we're going to be challenging you, maybe for some of you, to, to begin to trust God again at a level that maybe you used to, but you've abandoned it. 
Sometimes it hurts when God's word gets a hold of our heart. If you've been a part of the church any amount of time, you know that I've been on my own journey of chronic pain. I've had some back issues that that came up several years ago, and I used to have to go, thank God I don't have to do it anymore, mainly because it was so ridiculously painful, a neuromuscular massage therapist. I say that because when you say you go for a massage, you think, oh, wow, that's nice, right? I'm pretty sure she was a part of the Republican Guard, but I'm, I'm not positive. Right? And she's probing around, she's probing around, and all of a sudden she'll touch, right, a part of your back or something. You're like, mama, right? You don't even know it was there until she finds it. And her little phrase that she said that always irritated me, healthy tissue doesn't hurt, Fred, healthy tissue. And you know what she says? She doesn't pass over it. She stops there, doesn't she? And then she just will start to work it and dig it. And it is a terribly painful experience to work those knots out of those. Anybody ever had somebody do that, working those knots, right? You will cry. I don't care how tough you are. You will tell your deepest, darkest secrets in those moments. When God's word gets a hold of your heart, it hurts sometimes. But it's a pain that we need to endure because in the same way our physical body, the, the tissue of the eternal part of who we are, if it's healthy, it doesn't hurt. And every now and then God's word, as you're reading it, it touches it and it causes you to wince. It's not a time for you to say, let's move on. It's a time where we say, God, I need you to touch that more and I need you to touch that deeper because I want you to change that. So we trust that as you come on Saturday nights, as we talked about it last week, there's an openness that you're willing to step into a place of vulnerability with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and that you'll let him get a hold of some of your areas of your heart tonight. The big idea that we're kind of digging around together out of this text is that if we are going to do great exploits with God, then we must feel a deep love for God. One of the great teachings of this text, one of the great ways that this text begins to get around us and inspire us is the, is the implied then that, that Jesus asks Peter three heart questions and then he gives him three exploit commands. He's teaching Peter something important. He's teaching us something important. If we're going to do the feeding, if we're going to do the shepherding, if we're going to do the exploits with God, then Jesus wants us to understand that that's born out of a deep love for God. So as a church, if we're going to be a congregation that has a God-sized dream, that we're going to have a Psalm 124 existence, then we have to be a church that lets God do a deep work in our heart first before we can go do something grand outside those doors. We get this from a couple of verses. The first one here is in Daniel 11.32. Again, we hit this last week, but I just for people that weren't here, I just want to lay some foundation before we dig back into the text. It says, but the people who know, that's the Hebrew word, yada, their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. It doesn't just mean to know something like you know math. It doesn't just mean to know something like you know the color of this chair. It doesn't mean that you know something like you know where something is in a certain drawer of your house, just head knowledge. It's the same word that is used when it says an Adam knew his wife. It's talking about a life-defining, passion-filled relationship. When we have a life-defining, passion-filled, we feel deeply for our God, come on, those people shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And then we find this great verse in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, I will give you a new heart. This is God. Come on, speaking to Israel, but also speaking to us. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Why does he do that? 
He wants to do an Ezekiel work in us so that we can do a Daniel work with him. He wants to do an Ezekiel work in us so that we can do a Daniel work with him. And there are things that we can do and not do. We started on it last week. We're going to pick up with it again tonight to, to help our heart get to a place where we can feel deeply for God. But there is also the part that only God can do. There's the part that only he does as a sovereign God, that he can supernaturally begin to work in ways in your heart that are unexplainable, that are beyond human comprehension, where he actually begins to change who you are from the inside out. And all of us need to be willing to say, God, have your way with me. Great exploits are not necessarily defined by historical fame, but rather heavenly notoriety. I want to give that clarifier because if in this series that, 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 that what you're hearing me say is, right, that I'm, I'm going to have a, a, an American Idol experience, I'm going to be, have the voice of my life, right, that show that, that you're going to get discovered. Well, that might be some of your story, but that's not going to be most of our stories. This idea of doing great exploits with God doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to experience historical fame. It doesn't necessarily mean that one day in some class in the future here in Newport News that they're going to open up a textbook and your name's going to be written in there. It might be. That might be your story. But that's not the definition of great exploits in the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 139 talks about the books of heaven that God has written for your life and for my life. Even before we were born, God has seen all of our days. Now, are they literal books? I don't know the answer to that question. I like to think that they are, but they're filled with pages of the exploits that God wants you to do with him. It's not about having fame on this earth, but it's about the notoriety that we have in heaven. That people up there know who we are because we're living out the pages of the books that God has dreamed for you and for me. Hebrews 12 talks about the first verse, that we live our lives before what? Come on. Oh, come on, somebody. Hebrews 12, 1. A great, great multitude of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses, that we live our lives, even if it's relative obscurity here, come on, it's before the audience of heaven for all eternity. We want to do the exploits that we're, we're not looking for a moment of discovery, but we're pursuing our destiny. Even if it means we live our lives in relative obscurity, it does not mean that we did not do great exploits. Great exploits are defined simply by fulfilling the purpose that you were put on this earth to do. All right, so last week we talked about being alert. Again, we're not going to redo that. You can pick that up on the podcast. So we're going to pick up tonight with this idea of being approachable, being approachable. So what you find in the story is that Jesus approached Peter and began to engage him in a conversation. Jesus wants to approach you and he wants to have a conversation with you about your heart. He wants to have a conversation with you about your, where your heart is with the Father, where your heart is with Him, where your heart is as far as letting the Holy Spirit be in the dominant influence of your life. And Jesus is not a knock-down-the-door kind of Savior. He's not going to come in against your will and force you into the conversation. He's going to stand there. It's like it says in Revelation. He says, what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the door. He's the sovereign creator of the universe. He could remove the door and step in if he wanted to, but he wants you to invite him in, just as he did with Peter. He invited Peter into a dialogue. He invited Peter into a conversation so that he could begin to do a work on his heart so that he could be about the exploits that he was called to do. You and I have to be approachable for the work that Jesus wants to do in our heart. Okay, so to, we like, come on. Church is a participatory sport here at the City Life Church to get us thinking along the right direction. What are some times in your life, doesn't have to be especially spiritual, 
times in your life where you have felt deeply? If you're married, husbands, you better give the right answer right here. Steve, baby being born. Come on, yeah, a time in your life where you've felt deeply. Somebody else. You got married. See, this is a smart man. You should follow his lead. We talk, it's a point system in marriage, right? We tell you that all the time, guys. And your points start over every day. He just got about 10,000 points, but it's a zero balance tomorrow. But you get them while it's, I'm telling you. He t- he, now, you can't say that if you're married, right? Because then you're just copying him. You get negative points for that. Just helping you out, guys, if you're married. Helping you out. All right, somebody else, you felt deeply. A time in your life where you felt deeply. Tim, the loss of a loved one. Yes, you can feel deeply sometimes at the uh, height of, of joy, but sometimes it's a, a, a moment of sorrow or loss. Somebody else, where you felt deeply at a time in your life where your heart was stirred, your heart was moved by the preaching at the City Life Church on Saturday nights. Who said that? Who said that? Sandy. Yeah, yeah. A moment in your life, Sandy said, when God really revealed to her how much he loved her, that moved her heart. Come on, somebody else. You felt deeply bent. Say that again. Yeah, come on. When he found God again. That's good, Ben. That's good. Somebody else, where you felt, felt deeply, a moment in your life where you felt deeply. Chuck. Yeah, he pl- completed survival school, which means that you're not dead. That's a good thing, right? Come on. Come on, one more. When you felt deeply, yes, ma'am. Um, watching one of my students pass the test. Come on, a teacher watching us, one of her students pass the test. There's moments in your life where your heart is stirred in a deep way, and sometimes, sometimes it's just something that's natural. It doesn't necessarily mean it's eternal. It doesn't necessarily mean it's spiritual. But it's in those moments that we realize, especially as children, they realize their heart has a capacity to feel an emotion that is very, very deep. Now, now Peter gets a bad rap sometimes, doesn't he? But Peter is in Galilee right now because he's exactly where he's supposed to be. I've heard lots of sermons preached on this text that talk about Peter's, he went back to what he was familiar with, but that's not what happened here. Peter went back to Galilee because he's right where Jesus told him to go. We're going to pick up in verse 8, but the, 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 the textual point's in 10, but let's go back to 8. It says, the women ran quickly from the tomb, so Jesus is risen from the dead, and they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him and grasped his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Peter and the other disciples were in Galilee off the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee because that's exactly where Jesus had told them to go. And what we're going to find as we continue on is that Jesus wanted Peter there instead of anywhere else because of the work that he was about to do in Peter's heart. Come on, we're going to see the genius of Jesus. John 21, 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now, Jesus doesn't clarify what he's connecting this interrogative to. He just throws it out there as an open-ended question. And we have some choices here. Is he talking about the people that Peter's with? Is he talking about this idea of fishing because it was part of 
Peter's family business. If Peter was a fisherman, then we know because of that day and time that he flunked out of rabbinical training school, so he had to go ply his father's trade. So if he was a fisherman, he was following in the family business. So was it fishing? We know this was the passion of Peter's life. What about this area where Peter was from? It's where he grew up. More than Galilee, you can have a fondness for a certain geographical region. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about food? Come on, I don't know about you, but I love some food. There are certain kinds of food that... I, we went to the, the, you know, Vanessa's out of town, so we're going out, right? Because I have, when Christy was asking who likes to cook, I put my hands in my pockets, right? Because I cannot cook. So we went to the barbecue place over at uh, Peninsula Town Center. Q Barbecue, I think, is the, is the name. I see some head nods out there, right? I have a deep, heartfelt affection for the hush puppies that they make at that restaurant. Anybody else have some hush puppies there? Oh, I took the first bite into that, and it was just trouble from there. Trouble from there. It's a deep-fried donut right there on your plate. There's love in my heart for that food. Is Jesus asking Peter, Peter, this food that we're eating together that reminds you of your family, that, 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 that reminds you of, of where you grew up, do you love me more than these? And I don't think Jesus... This is just my own opinion. I don't think Jesus was comparing those things to himself. I think Jesus was doing something much deeper in Peter's heart. We talked about it last week. Peter's just denied Christ. Satan came at him at an emotional level because Satan understands the Daniel principle that, that if we're going to do great exploits with God, then we need to feel a deep love for God. So, so Satan knew about the prophetic declaration that Jesus spoke over Peter's life, that he was going to do great things upon this rock, right? His confession, I will build my church, he said. And then he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lucifer says, okay, we'll see about that. And he comes at Peter all the ways that he could have tempted him. He tempted him at an emotional level because he wanted him to be emotionally damaged so that he would be functionally disabled. And Jesus is doing some repair work on Peter's heart. So I believe he sends Peter back to a place where he's going to find things that he loves so that Peter can realize that even though he's committed a grave sin, his heart has not lost its ability to love. And sometimes Jesus just uses the natural things of this world to do that. He wanted Peter waiting in Galilee because he wanted Peter to realize his heart's capacity to feel deeply has survived in a place he loved deeply, with people he loved deeply, doing activities that he loved deeply, and yes, even eating food that he loved deeply. It's the genius of Jesus in this story. He says to Peter, I'm going to put the Great Commission on hold so I can care for your heart. I'm going to put on hold the building of my church and the building of my kingdom because, Peter, your heart has to get right. So he sends him back to a place where Peter can learn how to love again. Isn't God is the gentlest, kindless, kindness, kindest. Can't find that word. There it is. Kindest. Did he say that God's kindless? That's terrible. I know that there's another side of God that's vengeful. I know that there's another side of God that's, we don't want him angry. But that's not all who he is. There's all of the ways, I love all throughout the Old Testament, the phrase that said he's a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, rich and steadfast love and truth. When I made it a decision to become a Christ follower when I was 23 in December of 1990, I was reading through the Bible for the year for the first time, and I just remember coming to that phrase over and over. It was one of the first things that I memorized out of the Bible was that phrase. There is a 
a loving God's heart for us, as Sandy talked about, Ben talked about finding God again. It's not just finding him, come on, it's finding the affection that he has for you and for me. And he wants our heart to love him in turn. And when we're not able to, he takes care to put us in environments and situations that helps our heart stir again with life. Come on, we're all celebrating Kelsey's dad, Chandler's dad, Don Agate. You know, he had a massive heart attack. Was it, was it a month ago? Was it a month? A couple of months ago? Mid-January, mid-January. He died on the table in that hospital. They put the paddles on his heart to shock him, to bring him back to life. There's another heart that you and I have. It's the part of the hidden person of the heart that Peter talks about, the cryptosanthropos cardia, the hidden person of the heart. Sometimes that part of us dies, even though this one keeps beating. And Jesus knows how to get it started again. He wants there to be an emotional pulse in our spiritual life. So he puts us in a place, even if it's with natural things, even if it's amongst things that are one day are just going to pass away, he uses them to restart our heart, and that's exactly what he's doing with Peter. So did it work? Well, we know it worked because in John 21, 4 through 8, come on, it says, therefore the disciples, this is just going to pick up in verse 7, Therefore, the disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. We said we were going to come back to it. Here it is. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he's a, remember now, he's a hundred yards away from shore. Right? They didn't have flotation. They didn't have life jackets back then. Right? He's a hundred yards out. But Peter, what does it say? He ties his outer garment around him and he plunged, that's the Greek word balo, into the sea. And this Greek word balo always carries with it a connotation of impulse. Peter was not standing in that boat saying, you guys think I can swim that far? Right? Because they all would have said, no, Peter, you, you cannot. We've seen you try to walk on water. It did not turn out so good for you. It's powerful. Jesus knew that if I could just get into a place where his heart would love again, and there he is standing on the shore. He wants to surprise Peter. The, come on, the story's playing out for us. It's beautiful. Because he wants to see what Peter's heart will do. He wants to surprise Peter because he wants to know, will his heart re-engage with feeling and affection that transcends reason for me? And as soon as he realizes who it is, come on, he plunges without thought, driven by feeling, a deep feeling, and it doesn't tell us in the text, but I'm just believing that Jesus had a smile on his face that was so big the universe could barely contain it because Peter's heart was alive again. Come on, be approachable. Let God restore your heart to feel a deep love for him. Great exploits with him are waiting. A Psalm 124 existence out on the wire, living in the gap. All right, come on, we're going to do one more. Be agape. So we talked about be alert. We talked about be approachable. This is the last one. We're bringing it home. Be agape. Now there are five words, five words in the Greek language that communicate love. Now we know what mania is. That's connected to the hush puppies at the barbecue place in 
Peninsula Town Center, right? There, we, we know about manic. What that means, it means that you're out of control, that, that, that you're in a place where, where, where your emotions are driving you, you're not driving your emotions. We understand the word eros, that gives us the word erotic, and that's a kind of love that, that's important in marriage. It's not something that the world has hijacked. Come on, God created this kind of love that's supposed to be shared in marriage. We went to a, a conference several years ago called Soul Healing Love, a couple that did it. It was fascinating, and there has been so much research into the, the chemical makeup of the brain. I love studying about those things because it reminds us of just how incredible God's creation is, how he made us. He made us with all of those chemicals. And so when you meet someone and you're falling in love, you get infatuated with that person and God made you that way. All of these chemicals begin to get, to get released from your brain and it travels exactly along the same neurological pathways that as if you were taking amphetamines. It has that kind of experience. And if you've fallen in love, right, that's the word. Like people don't like to use falling in love, but we should use that because that's exactly what it's like. That you're, you're infatuated with that person. If it's the right person in the right way and you've got the right boundaries, then it's a good thing. But then a couple of years go by, right, and you're going, what happened? Well, you sobered up. That's what happened. You've been a drug addict on those endorphins that have been coursing through your body. And where oftentimes marriages break down is that where marriages break down is they want that to be there forever. But God doesn't want you to stay in that place forever. Because there's another chemical that he put in your brain that as your relationship matures, as you do the, that's why we talk about right feelings, follow right actions. We do premarital counsel. We talk to them about the intimacy wheel, all the ways that you build intimacy in a marriage. There's a, a, just a, a whole buffet since we're on the food, food train tonight. Come on, a whole buffet. You've got to be doing all of them. Because what happens is as this infatuation begins to die down, a lot of times people give up on their relationships just before the good stuff comes. If you invest in the work of your marriage, your brain over time begins to produce a different chemical. And it's not one that comes and goes, it's one that just releases. And, and people that have been married for a long time, that have been doing it right, they just, you, you see them walking through the mall, holding hands, sitting next to each other. They've been married for 50 years. Why? Because there's another chemical that their brain is just pouring out. That follows along different neurological pathways. It's the same one that if you take narcotics, which are different from amphetamines. Narcotics have a very comforting effect in your life. I wouldn't know anything about that, but I read about it in a book. They have a very comforting effect in, in, in your life. And for those, for those marriages, there's something deep that they share with each other. It does not necessarily mean that there's not moments of eros because they can, you still share that in your marriage, but that's not what makes your marriage rich. It, it might make your marriage fun at times, but what makes it rich is this other thing that begins, to, that God created your brain to do that so that you would form a bond with each other that would be absolutely inseparable. I'm just telling you, God wants to have that same kind of journey with you. And sometimes we make decisions for Christ and come on, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. We're infatuated with Christianity. But then all of a sudden the cares of the world begin to choke it out. The devil comes and he steals the seed. You, you, you know the story. But oh, those where the roots begin deep, it says they produce fruit many times more than the seed that went into the ground. God wants your love relationship with him to be just like that. Storgi is a, is, a, is a kind of love that's a dependent, it's a dependent love. It's the kind of love that you have for someone who you're giving dependent care to, a child or someone that you're a caretaker for. It could be an, an adult parent. Philos is brotherly love. It's a, it's a social love. 
All of those first four are a love, it's a love that's contingent upon external circumstances. It's something out here that causes you to feel that in here. You with me? What sets agape love apart is that this is the kind of love that has nothing to do with what's going on out here. It starts in here. It's why this is the kind of love that describes who God is. Because God's love for us is not contingent upon circumstance. It's not contingent upon people. That's why it's called an unconditional love. It's a love that is born out of who he is because of his character, because of his nature. And Jesus has Peter in a place where he wants him to understand, Peter, this is the kind of love that you need to discover. You need to know that your heart has the ability to have this kind of love, not just for me, but for the people around you. It's the most perfect kind of love. It's why it's the word that Jesus uses when he says, love your enemy, because it's not a love that's born out of what they deserve or because of who they are, because of the relationship. It's a love that's born out of character. It's a love that's born out of substance. It comes from your heart. So we were at baseball practice this afternoon. Derek's playing. He had his first practice for the day, and and uh, so we were there for a couple of hours this, this afternoon, and so I had my iPad there, and I was working through my sermon, and I was on the slide, and I'm praying about agape, and, and just, you know, God, what do you want to say? Come on, we want to bring a message to the church each week that's from his heart, not from some book, not from some classroom. I'm sitting there praying over this message, and I'm looking at these, these slides on my iPad, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little child begin to work his way over to me. True story, just happened just a few hours ago. He might, might have been about three years old, maybe. Now, there is nothing about my disposition that says to him, come talk to me. You with me? Nothing. I got my hat on, I got it pulled way down, and you know, it's 40-some degrees outside, I have my sunglasses on, my earbuds in, and I'm in my chair, and I'm of a different ethnicity than he is, right? Everything about me says there are social boundaries here that you should not cross right? And all of a sudden, he just comes over. I've never met this child ever in my life, ever. He just comes over, and as he gets closer, his arms come out. So you know what I'm thinking, right? Oh, he wants this iPad, right? He has spotted the technology. There's been a technology sighting by the bleachers on the A field at Deer Park. He came up to me, I kid you not, and he just gave me the biggest hug. And he, then he tucked his head sideways right up under my neck and just squeezed me and held on to me. Didn't know this kid. I'm telling you, my heart was so full in that moment. God just, he does it, doesn't he? Here I am praying for this and agape and what does that kind of love look like? It looks like this child. Children have the most incredible capacity to agape love and we teach it right out of them. We teach it right. They love just because of who they are as children. They don't care who you are. They don't care what kind of signals you're, 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 you're giving off. And he just came up, and he just stepped away, had the biggest smile, and then just ran back off playing some game with his buddy. That's agape love. And that's how God wants to love you. That's how he wants you to love him, and that's how he wants us to love our world. Come on. John 21, 15 through 17. Simon, son of John, do you love me? In the Greek, it's agape. 
more than these. Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love, but Peter used, does not use the word agape. He uses the word philos. You know that I love you. A second time he asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus uses a different word. Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Come on, the Bible's translated for us into English, but they weren't speaking English in the day. You know that I love you, he says. So we ask him a third time, Simon, son of John, and then Jesus changes his word. In the Greek is actually phileo. Do you love me? The verb version. Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, right? Because he knows that Jesus is dealing with his heart because of his, his rejection, his betrayal of Christ. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Now, there's a, we could spend a whole year on a sermon series on just these words right here. But the one I want us to see tonight, I believe, I believe, that Jesus changes his word to philos at the end because I believe what he's saying to Peter. Peter, I'm glad that you love me like a brother, but you're going to have to learn to love me more than that. Because all of these other kinds of love, they are situational. All of these other kinds of love, they're contextual to a certain relationships that maybe come and go. And he is saying to Peter, if you are going to do the exploits with me that I have called you to do, what the Father wants, what's written in your Psalm 139, books of heaven, you are going to have to learn. Yes, I started you with fishing and people in Galilee and fish, situational loving, but I want you to know that your heart can go far beyond that to a deeper place of love. Jesus is teaching Peter that the sifting, right? Because when Satan came and asked if he could tempt Peter, it says that Jesus gives him a warning. We looked at it last week. He's going to sift you like wheat. He's teaching Peter that the sifting that he endured was to bring about a deeper understanding, come on, of the kind of love that he must have for him. Not just because of who Christ is, but because of who Peter is, an immovable love, because his name that Jesus, his real name was Cephas, but right, he calls him what does he call him? And the real name was Simon. He calls him Cephas, which is the Greek. In the Hebrew, it's Peter. Or maybe it's backwards. I can't ever keep that stuff straight. But the point is that he, he gave him a new name. And the new name was that he's a rock. He's trying to help Peter understand there has got to be something immovable in your heart in regards to your love for me that is not dependent upon a circumstance or a situation. Will you let your heart go there? Because he's saying, oh, Peter, if you will, we're going to do great exploits together. Now, we know that Peter got it right because Peter, some of his writings were included in Scripture. Peter 1.8, it says what? What does he say? You love him. This is Peter writing. Even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The word that Peter picks here in his own epistle, he abandons philos and he picks up the word agape. That's the word that Peter used. So we know that this lesson that Jesus taught Peter, he got it because he begins to teach the world the same thing that Jesus had taught him. Come on, you keep going into verse 22 and it says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love, and he uses the word philos here, to each other as brothers and sisters. But then he says love, he switches to agape, love each other deeply with all of your heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. With all of your heart. 
Let your heart grow to feel a deep love for him. Great exploits with him are waiting. A Psalm 124 existence out on the wire, living in the gap. Come on, stand with me. Father, we know that, that as we go on this journey of life, that, that, that like Peter, that we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that, that wound our heart. And we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that, that, uh, that make us want to withdraw, that make us want to pull back. Father, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where maybe we've trusted, maybe we, we've, we've, we've taken a chance. People have let us down. Sometimes it's the very church that was a place that was supposed to be safe. For so many of us, like Peter, that part of who we are it just begins to wither. Come on, if that's you here tonight, then we can hear God saying something to you. Let your heart love again. Let your heart be stirred again. We can hear God saying to you tonight in all the ways that you look back into your life and, and, and you remember moments where you've felt deeply. Come on, we can hear God saying to you tonight, I want you to feel that way again for me, for your purpose, for your destiny, and yes, even for people. So Father, we say to you in turn, we want your word to dig around in us tonight. We want your word to grip our heart tonight. We want your word to, to begin to do something supernatural in us just like you did for Peter. We want to feel a deep love for you. We want you to do an Ezekiel work in us because we want to do a Daniel work with you. We know that every person that's in this room tonight, God, they have a Psalm 139 books of heaven library stacked up about them, a purpose that they are supposed to fulfill, a destiny that they are supposed to accomplish. And we say, let it be. Maybe even in this moment, oh God, it's going to be as though their heart is just going to rediscover a spiritual pulse this night. That even now as we sing this song together, maybe even now as, as we pray that something is just going to come alive inside of them they're going to begin to feel something deep for you. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together. Here inside your presence, I'm taken by the wonder of you. Inside your glory, we give our lives fully to you. Here inside your presence, taken by the wonder of you. Here inside your glory. 
You know, we, we don't have to be someone who's worked in a hospital to imagine the scene where there might be somebody on a table and then all of a sudden the heart monitor, it just goes flat, doesn't it? It just goes flat. And they begin to work as hard as they can, doing all the things that they were trained to do to try to get that heart to start again. And they're all hoping for the same thing, right? There better be a, some movement on that line. I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and you look inside of yourself and there's just a flat line of emotion in your spiritual life. God wants you to know he can change that. If you will only let him in, that you would trust him, that you would trust him on this journey of life, that you would let your heart be vulnerable to him. And I'm telling you, he will begin to do a work in you that is unexplainable, that is otherworldly, that you will begin to experience a depth of love for him that you will not be able to find words this side of heaven to express. So Father, we say for every one of those people here tonight, who would say that's me? For every one of those people here tonight saying, Fred, that's, that's me. I, I look around this room and I see people that are impassioned. I, I see people who, it, it is as though they feel something deep for God. I, I want to have that. God wants you to have it too. And we say, let it be in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that your heart begins to stir for Him. Begins to stir for Him. Begins to stir for Him in a way that's undeniable. 
in a way that as it begins to happen to you, that it will be as though that you're in the story there in the Gospel of John where it says that no one dared ask who it was because they just knew. That for each of you here tonight who would say, that's my story, that, that we're believing that Jesus is going to encounter you in such a way that it's going to be undeniable. And it's going to be a work that's unexplainable. That he's going to give you a heart to feel a deep love for him. In Jesus' name, let it be for all of us. Come on, God bless you. We'll see you next week.